people. They were not bit by spiders. They did not get crazy powers from the sun. Uh, this is completely because of the God that they serve, that they are able to do amazing things. And the crazy thing is, we serve the same God. We do. We serve the same God. And so as we talk about Joshua, we talk about Rahab or Joseph uh, or Daniel, all of those, all of those people, they serve the same God that you and I do today. And that, that's, that's, what, that's what they have in common, and that's what we have in common. Nothing extraordinary about them, but there is something extraordinary about the God that we serve. And so as we talk this morning uh, about um, another biblical character, I want you to be challenged by that. May that be your frame of thought of thinking, man, let's make much of the God that we serve and not so much about just these people, uh, because I think it's, it's, it's all about him. It definitely is all about him. Now, uh, I, I'm no biblical historian, uh, but... One thing that's fascinating to me is the, is in the Old Testament, the book of the Kings. I don't know if anybody else likes Old Testament, likes getting into the Kings or not. Uh, but as you go through there, you see all these different men, and there's a, there's a woman in there too, uh, who ruled. Uh, and, and very quickly, you see that very few of them actually pleased God in the way that they ruled. Okay? And so, uh, ultimately, they brought all kinds of heartache and problems to, to Jerusalem and, and Judah. And uh, it became a, if you read through First and Second Kings, you see over 40 kings in there. I want you to see a, a, what, all their names here on the screen. This is all the names of the different kings that, that served in Jerusalem and, and, and Judah. Now, uh, obviously, the kingdom split, and so there's a, there's, that's why there's more. Uh, but all, all these 40 kings, all of the blue ones, did what was evil in the sight of God. Uh, the, the yellow ones were the only ones that actually did what was pleasing to God. And the ones that are kind of half and half, uh, they started off kind of good and they didn't end up so good. And so you come to see, I, I don't know about you, uh, maybe you get fascinated by the, the ones that royally screwed up, uh, a pun intended, right? Uh, or, or maybe you, you like to go in and see the ones that did it right. That's me. I like to go and say, okay, what did these people do? How did they rule rightly? Um, and, and one of the kings that we're going to talk about, one of those five, that it explicitly says that did what was right in the eyes of God, his name is Josiah. And, and Josiah, his name actually means the Lord supports. And he is such an interesting king to me uh, because one of, the, one of the great things is that he actually starts his reign at the ripe old age of eight years old. Eight years old. And, and that's kind of crazy. I don't know if there's any, uh, any kiddos in here today. Any kiddos that are eight years old or older? Okay. Okay. Uh, those kiddos that are eight years old or older, are you ready to be in charge of all of your family decisions? Okay, okay, he says no. Um, all right, so uh, uh, parents, any, any parents in here are ready to put their kiddos in charge of all family decisions? No, no okay, no, we're not, not quite ready for that. Um, what about if you put your kiddos in charge of, let's say, LaGrange? They made all the decisions for LaGrange. Or dare I say it, how about put them in charge of the United States of America? I mean, it's crazy, right, to think about? And, and so I had some parents interview their eight-year-olds to see what they may say to a few questions. So I want you to watch this video right now. All right, so uh, thanks to Tanner, Bentley, and Ryder for helping me with that. Lots of fun. Um, so what do you think after seeing that? Are you ready to put some kids in charge? Yeah, I, could, I don't know. I don't know. But what, what intrigues me so much about Josiah is he starts his reign at eight years old, and and listen to what the Bible says about the rule of Josiah. By the end of his rule, it says this. Before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses. Nor did any like him arise after him. 
Now, this is not just some kind of cute little statement here, because you got to think, King David came before Josiah, King Solomon, who built his temple. But more importantly, jumping to Jesus's day, when Jesus is asked the most important commandment, he quotes Deuteronomy 6. He quotes the Shema. It's, it, and so in Mark 12, he says this. They ask him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answers, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. So when the Bible sums up the life of Josiah, it says that he turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might. And to me, this is one of the highest praises you can give. Because Jesus says that this is the most important aspect of your life. The most important part of everything that you can do is to live this way. And it says about Josiah's life that that's what he did. I'm not saying he's perfect, but that's what he did. So to me, that makes me take notice. I don't know about you. Uh, But it makes me say, okay, what did Josiah do that would deserve that kind of praise? And so uh, while it doesn't just come out and say it, this is what you have to do to live for God or whatever it is. uh, There's definitely some things that we can take away. So, uh, Go on a little journey with me into into Second Kings. Um, so jo, the, the first thing I see about Josiah is that he does not let his circumstances take him out. Okay, and what, what, do I, what do I mean by that? So Josiah was the son of King Ammon and grandson of King Manasseh. Both of them were wicked kings of Judah. They were blue kings. Okay, so he began his reign at the age of eight after his father is assassinated. Okay, so. Kind of a kind of a crazy life to, to start off, right? Um, and God has already said that Josiah's grandfather was so wicked, he is about to bring punishment to the land. And so that's what Josiah is walking into at this moment. And so Josiah's response to God in this is his own, though. It, it's his own, its own personal response to God. And that's what I love. It didn't matter his age, right? And you know what the crazy thing about age? There's no magic age. There's no certain age that all of a sudden you've arrived, right? At every single age, there's people older than you or younger than you that you that you can look up to or look down to, whatever it might be. Uh, there's not you know all of a sudden become of age where it's it's right to walk with the Lord or that you know. In First Timothy, will say to to uh, to set an example for believers in speech and in conduct and love and faith and in purity. But the truth is, our church needs every age. I think there's some eight year olds in here that can contribute to our church, don't y'all? I think for sure. That's why we do the things we do. We want to develop them into young people that, that, that love the Lord. But there's even things they can do now that, that, that contribute to the body. That's, that's the whole picture of the body that, that Jesus gives. When it comes to the body of Christ, it's all of us contributing. Be it 8 years old, be it 80 years old, be it 108 years old, whatever it is, all of us play a part. And I think that's, uh, that's amazing. Another thing that, uh, that Josiah uh, didn't, didn't take Josiah out was it, his family situation was not the best. Obviously, I kind of already alluded to some of that. Uh, his dad was evil, and then his dad's dad was evil. And, and we see that this kind of created this cycle. And a lot of times our families have this cycle of sin that continues and continues. And all of a sudden we see in Josiah that cycle breaks. And, and the truth is that through a mighty God, we, are all, we too can break the cycle of, of, of family sin, of the things that are going on. Because your parents are divorced doesn't mean that you're destined for divorce. Because you've had struggles, uh, because your, your, your parents' parents have had struggles doesn't mean that you have to have those same struggles. And it's all because of the God that we serve that that's true. And so that, that's an amazing thing to me, breaking that cycle. Uh, it doesn't matter how hard his life had been up to this point. You've got to think, uh, everything that's been modeled for him by his dad and his grandpa has not been great. His grandpa is one, uh, King Manasseh, is one of the most wicked kings of Judah. He, he's so wicked that God says, I cannot 
stand by and let this go on. I am bringing punishment to the land of Judah. And the punishment eventually is Babylon coming and conquering them. And so we see that that though, that hard that hard life that's going on is all because of, of King Manasseh's uh, sin. And he, he does horrible things like bringing in, obviously, idol worship into the temple, desecrates the temple, uh, also ends up uh, sacrificing one of his sons. Just just terrible stuff. Nothing that's that's good. Uh, and the, the crazy thing is, uh, you may say, OK, so Josiah, it was easy for him because he was king. If I had that kind of position, man, I, I would do I would do everything right. I would do all this stuff. But the, the, the thing is, you've seen, maybe you've watched enough reality TV, give any young person enough wealth and enough power, what happens? A lot of times they end up turning out like not very well, do they? they? They turn out a little bit scary, and it's a, it's a little bit crazy. Um, but when it comes to our position, sometimes we're looking at our own circumstances thinking that, man, if I just had this or if I just had that. The, the crazy thing is that whether you realize it or not, there's people on the other side of the world that wish that they had some of the conditions that we have. They wish they lived in America. They wish they had our opportunities and our freedom. A little July the 4th plug right there. Um, uh, there there's something, uh, th- there's someone wishing that they had it as good as you or me right now. And uh, that's, that's the truth. So, so 2 Kings chapter 2 says, uh, introduces Josiah by saying this, And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of David his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. That makes me think of like horse blinders, right? Just thinking, my eyes are focused on Jesus. He is what matters most. I, all of my focus is going towards him. But there's so many things in the world that pull our, our focus other directions, isn't it? There, there's crazy things. You think about your, our circumstances that take us out. You think about things like bitterness that end up just kind of just wrecking our lives, be it jealousy or envy or unforgiveness. They end up taking our focus away from God, taking our focus away from the one who really matters. And then all of a sudden you turn around and years have gone by and you've been just stuck in this terrible cycle and just missing out on all the things that God is wanting to do in and through you. And uh, you've uh, sometimes have wasted just some of this time. But Jesus offers more. And your response to him really is your own, just like it was for Josiah. It reminds me of, the, of, of, of a man named Nick Vujicic. You may have heard of Nick. He was born without arms and legs. And uh, what he, he lives his life as a motivational speaker, and he lives his life telling people about Jesus. Is that crazy to you? I mean, can you put yourself in his circumstances just for a second and imagine what that must be like? And I'm not saying he didn't have hard times. He definitely did. If you watch, watch anything on YouTube about him, he definitely had some hard times. But at the same time, he has also seen that his life is best spent giving honor and glory to God and living for him with his whole entire life. And, and he's got doing amazing things to him. He's actually written several books. His most recent, Be the Hands and Feet. Kind of a little play on what's going on. But, I mean, just, just the, the whole idea. He's written lots more books than that, too. Circumstances aren't taking Nick out. They're also, they didn't take out Josiah. But, but when I think of loving the Lord with all of my heart, my soul, and might, the other thing that I think Josiah did that was so amazing is, was he had an amazing will to do. He was all about the action. Josiah's response to God revealing himself was action. The biblical word for action would be obedience, right? And if you're looking to please God, if you're going to try to please God, you've got to have two elements. You've got to have faith, Hebrews 11:6, and without faith, it's impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. They must also have uh, 1 John 5, are those scriptures up there? 
kind of flying through them. Um, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So we've got to have faith, and we've got to have obedience. And Jesus says it a lot more plainly than that. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. And so this faith and obedience that I see in Josiah is what I think is that, that idea that makes him um, somebody that loves the Lord with all his heart, his soul, and his, his might. It, it's about that action. It's about that obedience. And so I want you to see a bit of his story. As, we, as we're in 2 Kings chapter 22, I'm going to summarize a lot of it. If you want to go back and check it out and see, see all the details, please do. Uh, but Josiah was treasuring the things of God. He had decided that he was going to repair the temple of God. And so he, uh, he's using a, a lot of money, wanting to return it back to the original splendor that Solomon had. And in the, in the middle of that undertaking, in the middle of them trying to do the repairs, the high priest finds the book of the law. Many think it's the, the first five books of the Bible. So uh, the, the Pentateuch is what it's called. Um, and so as you're, as, you're, as you're thinking through that, think that most likely they had been void of God's word. For generations at this point, we know looking back, there were some good kings that had God's word, like Hezekiah and some of the other ones. But for for several generations, either a king got rid of their their original copies or whatever it might have been. Um, there probably weren't a lot of these copies, so it might have been easy to destroy. But all of a sudden, they're fixing the temple and they find one of these these copies of the law of God. And I just uh, I, it just it, it amazes me when uh, when Josiah first hears the word of the Lord, um, he is immediately cut to the heart. Now, I don't know when you might have first heard God's word, but, uh, man, I, I wish my response was like Josiah's. He's all about action. He's all about saying, man, I see what it says here. It says to do this. I'm going to go out and do this. And so often uh, what I see instead is I, I see almost an indifference to God's word in me and in, in, in people that I see that, are, that, that call themselves Christians. And I, I, I look at the way that I respond to God's word, and so often... Like when I see Josiah, I have to just say, God, I'm sorry. Um, on a good day, I may hear God's word and my reaction may be agreement or thinking that something's true, but then I never take it past that point. You know what I'm saying? It becomes, a, it becomes an easy way to say, yeah, all these things are good, but then if it never actually changes anything in my life, I'm missing the whole point. I'm missing all of it. So, but Josiah immediately gets cut to the heart. Josiah hears the words in the Lord and immediately he reflects on how far his nation, the nation that he's king of, how far they have strayed from what God really wanted them to do. He sees that judgment is coming, and it's coming soon, because we are far from living what, what, what God wanted us to do. And so he immediately goes and finds a prophet of God and says, okay, when is judgment coming? Because I know it's coming. And, and look at God's reaction to Josiah's seeking him. Uh, in Second Kings 22, it's at 22, 19. It says, because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. God goes on to tell him that he would still bring judgment to the people of Judah because of Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh. But he was going to spare King Josiah from being subjected to what God says is going to be disaster. Like I said, Babylon coming in and taking over. But don't miss this. I want you to see the action that happens just, just one chapter next. It takes place for Josiah and the people of Judah. 2 Kings 23, verses 1 through 3. Then the king sent, and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him all the men of Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. 
And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And, and here, here, here the king's reaction at this point. King Josiah. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord, to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people joined in the covenant. So Josiah hears God's word. He recognizes it as truth. And then, don't you love this? He goes right out and he shares it with everybody that he has influence over. Would you love that? Man, uh, we oftentimes hear God's word. And how often do we end up actually sharing what God's showing us? How often do we share with those that, are, that we have influence over? How, long do we, how often do we share with the people that we rub elbows with every single day what God's doing in our life, what God's showing us? It's, it, it, that convicted me. That, that hit me that, that I don't see that. I don't see that kind of action. He made a covenant before the Lord to walk with the Lord, keep his commandments with all his heart and soul, perform what this covenant spelled out. Now, what would it look like for you, for me, if we saw God's word and we took it seriously? And we said, man, I, I'm going to do what it says to do. Well, what would that mean for you? What would that mean for your family? What would that, what would that change in your life, in the life of your family? It, I think it would change this church for sure. I, I think we would see amazing things happen. King's, King, King Josiah's next course of action is he goes on to purge the land of all the things that didn't please God. And he, and he puts in proper place the things of God, like the observance of the Passover. As you read in 2 Kings 23, he goes from temple, uh, he goes from the temple to the city by city, cleaning out everything that was devoted to idols. And he doesn't stop until all of Judah and Jerusalem are cleansed of the evil against God. He cleans out the temple of all the vessels devoted to idols. He burns them outside the city. He removes all the priests that were performing idol worship. He goes on to pull out of Judah any and all things that are devoted to idol worship. It truly was a purge. Now, I, I said earlier that it, it breaks my heart. When I see myself and so many Christians that are kind of just indifferent to the things of God, uh, to the call of Christ. Uh, Francis Chan, I think, says it so awesomely this way. He says that the irony is that while God doesn't need us but still wants us, we desperately need God but don't really want him most of the time. He treasures us and anticipates our departure from this earth, and, uh, earth to be with him. And we wonder indifferently how much we have to do for him to get by. Man, Josiah, though, is all in. He wasn't dipping a toe. So too often I'm, I'm justifying to myself not being sold out to Christ. I care more about what others think than what God thinks. Do I really believe this? Do I really believe that there's people around me that are dying, that don't know Jesus, that will spend forever away from God in eternal punishment? Because I think that changes things if I, if I really believe that. I think that gives me an urgency. Don't you? I think, I think that gives me, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe I need a, a Joshua moment in my life where Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Or maybe I need that resolve that Daniel has. But I'll be honest, I, I've wrestled where to go from, from here in this, this part of the, of the message. And um, my, my desire is to not make you feel guilty. That's, that's not my heart. Uh, it really is just to make you think. But I don't want you to stop at thinking. I don't want me to stop at thinking. Because I, 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 that's happened far too much. Instead, I want to give you a few tools, okay? And so what I'm talking through is something that I'm on a journey on too, all right? I'm right in the middle of it. I'm preaching to myself this morning as much as I am to anybody else, I promise. So uh, here is what I've been thinking through. 
I'm in the middle of a book right now called Atomic Habits, and it's by James Clear. I recommend it. It's great. Uh, it, it, it's brought all kinds of thoughts to me that I, that I want to share this morning. Um, and I'll, I'll tie it in so you'll kind of see what, what, what it looks like. But uh, no one goes out and thinks, I really want to be a person who lacks integrity. Anybody kind of make that their goal? I'm going to go lack integrity. No, but all of us know people that lack integrity, don't we? So what is it that, you know, two people can have the exact same goal and they have different results? Why is that? Uh, no one's goal is to be a terrible husband or to, to be a lousy dad. You know, if you think of it in a sports analogy, two teams may have the same goal to win the game, right? But one does and one doesn't. Why? Why is that? And, and the truth that I'm seeing, what, what I'm really seeing in my life is that it's all about the habits and the systems that I have in my life that have compounded for my lifetime that have given me the results that I now have. Meaning that there's small habits that may feel insignificant in the moment that add up to become these systems and ways that I conduct my life that end up giving me the results that I have. Let me explain. That was a mouthful. I, I will try. I, I'm going to try not to make all my examples about food, but like Ryder in the video, I really like food, so it's kind of easy to do. So um, while the difference between eating a burger and eating a salad may not be very big in the moment, you're not going to notice much difference on the scale if you eat one or the other. Um, with that scenario replayed over and over again, if you choose the burger over and over again, it ends up to being overweight. So since January, I have lost 25 pounds. Now, this, this is about halfway to the first set of weight that I'm trying to lose. But I can tell you the truth. I am seeing that this is all about small decisions. Okay? It's all about small decisions. My fight isn't about losing 50 pounds. It's about trying to not push snooze on the alarm clock. Right? It's will I set my shoes and my workout clothes out to make it easier for me to actually do my workout? Will I, will I choose oatmeal instead of taco shack? Taco shack is so good, though. <laughs> All of those decisions take me to a smaller goal of will I lose two pounds this week and then to the ultimate goal of will I lose 50 pounds by October or whatever it is. You may be thinking, um, what does this have to do with Jesus? Uh, and that's a good question. But uh, here's what I'm seeing is that many of the habits and systems that I have when it comes to being a sinner are a lot more practiced and fortified than the things that lead me to a closer walk with Jesus. So why do I keep failing? Sometimes it's because my goal is just to be a better Christian. And that's a, it's a pretty big goal. But that's the wrong goal. That's, that's not what we're after. It's, it, our goal should be to, to, to know God to, and to know him well. But, but what if my approach was people that love the Lord do certain things? What if I begin to put those certain behaviors in my life to build habits that can eventually turn into systems that eventually affect my identity? Does that make sense? So whether you realize it or, or not, your habits shape your identity. Forty to 50 percent of the decisions that you make every day are completely from your habits. Those 40 to 50 percent of decisions actually influence the rest of your decisions, too, whether you realize it or not. Uh, the problem is, as a culture, so often we focus on the end result. If it's my goal to shoot a basketball like Steph Curry, I think I can go out and do it by you know, spending a day in the gym, shooting a lot. That's probably not going to happen, right? It's a lot of repetition. It's a lot of practice. It's, a, it's becoming a habit. It's, it's, it's ingraining all of that. If I want to be a person who's good with money, it's going to take more than shaving my head and calling myself Dave Ramsey, right? It's going to take a lot more than that. Instead, I need to retrain my thinking 
that my day is full of tiny decisions that take me to some ultimate goals and results. My goal may be to work towards breaking down those smaller goals to get a majority headed towards a desired behavior where from the outside looking in, I may appear disciplined, but you realize that it's all based on a whole bunch of tiny decisions that add up and, and by the majority make me look like a disciplined person. You may, you may begin to realize that there's some root habits, some root good choices that you have to make at the very beginning. The next, next slide. That end up taking you to the direction that you want to be. But you, if you don't ever figure out those root habits, those root choices, you're never going to get to that top one. You start, it starts taking you down a path that takes you, takes you the whole wrong way. And you start missing out. Now, can you imagine for a second all of the habits that have become systems in your life that are contrary to the way that God wants your life to be? So this book that I'm reading through is talking through changing habits. But part of that equation, the part of the equation it never really addresses is Jesus. It's not a Christian book, okay? Uh, We are talking habits lead to systems that lead to identity. But then Jesus comes in and he changes the whole equation. Uh, if, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he has already changed your identity. He has. And now we're in a bit of a conundrum. Because, see, I was once dead, but now I'm alive. I was once a slave to sin, but now I'm free, free to serve the Lord. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was no longer, I am no longer destined for destruction, but I'm a child of the king. And, and Jesus did all of that work. He did it all. It wasn't anything that I did. But the, the crazy thing is, is too often, we are alive people still living as if we're dead. That's crazy. We're saved people still living as if we're lost. We're still reverting back to those old habits from an old life and an old identity. I gave up my life of singleness when I got married. And I took on the identity of a married man. If I was still living like a single person, if I was, uh, you know, giving out my number, if I was getting on Christian Mingle, if I was swiping right, doing some of that kind of stuff, that could be a problem, right? Hannah may have an issue with that. Okay? And she should. She should. But the, the truth is, God has something to say about us when we're living like we're not his child when we really are. And, and he tells us, he wants us to stop. He wants us to say, man, this is not what's best, my child. In Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live is is in the flesh. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So like Josiah, who's motivated to action by the Lord and decides to purge the land of all things that didn't please God, you got to think. What are those areas in my life that need some purging? What are some areas in my life that you know are still not pleasing, um, not pleasing to God? Something that, you know, how am I still living like someone that doesn't know Jesus? What habits am I still a part of that I know are not right in my heart? The truth is that most habits are not easily removed. Oftentimes, it takes it being replaced with another habit, a better habit, in order for that, that discipline to really take on. So as habits turn to addiction, you even, even need professional help at times. So how do we build new habits that are going to replace those old habits uh, of an old life, of a fleshly life? I, I think it starts with this train of thought. What kind of things 
would be true of someone who followed Jesus. And as you think of that, you might think of things like uh, somebody that prays, right? So what if the habit you begin to try to build is spending, now hear this, two minutes a day, two minutes a day writing down prayer requests. That's it. Set a timer and all you have is two minutes. Write down as many prayer requests as you can and you continue to do this. As you continue to do this, you're going to find that this habit is going to lend itself to more time. It's going to lend itself to maybe actually praying for a few of them. It's going to lend itself to growing into five minutes or ten minutes or whatever it might be. And eventually, it could turn into a habit of praying. But it's got to start somewhere. So often, we think, uh, uh, I, you think a, a Christian reads their Bible, right? So um, I'm going to make my goal. Let's read the entire Bible this year. You get to Leviticus, and what happens? Boom. It's bad, right? And it's, it's tough to read through. It has good stuff, but it's, it's tough to read through. Um, and so, so what if our goal instead was, hey, I'm just going to try to read a chapter a day or two minutes a day, whatever, whatever you have to start at, in order to kind of just start getting those habits formed. A follower of Jesus loves people. You know, I, don't, I think that's true. But it, I, I don't want you to go out and say, okay, what does loving people look like? I'm going to go and start creepily hugging everybody. No, that's not what we want. That, that's just weird. Don't do that. But instead, what if you started thinking and looking for opportunities to say yes to opportunities to serve somebody instead of saying no every time. What if uh, I just saw a member of our church who uh, blessed another family? A family was, was trying to give a, a sporting a piece of, a, of sporting equipment when the, the kiddo was playing a sport, needed a, a used tennis racket. Or, they were asking everybody for it because they were trying to find it. And a member from our church said, I can help there. Went and bought him a brand new racket and took it to him and said, hey, I'm going to bless you with this. There's, there's, that kind of stuff's going on, looking for those opportunities, saying yes when the opportunity's there. What about writing a note of encouragement? It doesn't take a long time to write a note. But man, that can, that can make a difference in somebody's life. That, that's a loving act to be able to encourage those that are, that are part of, uh, that are closest to you, that are maybe not even close to you, part of the church. Cooking a meal for somebody in need. Man, I know um, you have a baby. We, we, we're really good about that. But man, being able to bless those families that are going through hard times or sickness or those things that are happening, you figure out what it looks like. But it should be in there. That should be part of your life. And you figuring out what that, how that happens. What if? What if you began to see just some little improvements in your life? What if you begin to see that you get, I don't know, 1% better each day or each week? In the span of a, looking back over a year or 10 years or 20 years, that could make a world of difference, couldn't it? That, that would be a huge difference. You'd have some disciplines in your life. You'd have some, some things in your life that all started with two minutes a day or whatever it might be. And, and, and that's, that's what we, that's what we, we can see is that, sure, our, our goal may have been two minutes a day reading the Bible, but then all of a sudden we see that this, this word is alive and it's, it's a relationship with a real person. And all of a sudden things change and man, God transforms us and it begins to make us, continues to make us into a, to a new creation. Um, so what if it was said about you, this statement, before her or him, there was no person like them who turned to the Lord with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their might, chasing after the things of Christ. May that be true of you. May that be true of you. Would you pray with me? Father God, I, uh, I thank you, God, that you love us the way that you do, that, um, God, you desire for us not to stay the same, that you want us to look more and more like Jesus. God, through our power, through our ability, that's, that's, it's impossible. 
We need you. And uh, God, I pray that you would show us what it looks like more and more to be Jesus, to be like him, to look like him, to do the things that we're called to do. May we see those opportunities and take them. May we be the hands and feet of Christ to to a world that so needs him. We pray that in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.